Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by sharing and showing the love of Christ and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now, here is this week's message from Pastor Floyd Hughes. All right, good morning, Crossroads. Uh, Welcome to our Sunday morning worship celebration uh, where we love celebrating Jesus, uh, especially if we didn't have to walk through three feet of snow to do it. And uh, seriously praying that everyone had an opportunity uh, yesterday to get out and enjoy just the beautiful weather because we haven't seen it that beautiful in a while, except for the people like on this side of the room who've been experiencing it for the last few months. The rest of us haven't had an opportunity to get out and really enjoy the weather. So I'm praying that everyone got out yesterday, even if all you did, which is what I did for most of the day, was just sit inside and thank God that you didn't have to shovel snow. Still a beautiful way to enjoy uh, God's weather. Uh, A couple of announcements that I want to share with you guys uh, quickly uh, regarding some stuff that's coming up and that will be going on. First and foremost, um, we have the uh, diaper donations uh, for the Mon Valley Diaper Pantry that are starting up again. Every three months, we either put a bin in the back, which I did not put a bin in the back, but no one showed up with diapers this morning, so that's okay, Uh, where you can deposit diapers here, or you can drop them off at the library, Jefferson Hills Library, or downstairs at the borough building. Uh, They allowed us to put bins there. uh, And and here's the thing. If I get we're doing this every three months, but if every one of us just went and bought a $5, you can't get diapers for $5 anymore, can you? Oh, okay. Whatever the smallest denominations is, Dada bought a pack of diapers and donated it. That would help numerous families that are in need because diapers, they're not like uh, I want, they're a necessity. Don't have an option with diapers, right? Uh, But also, on the other side of that, um, the Mon Valley Diaper Pantry distributes diapers uh, to those who are in need of them. The third Saturday of every month, I don't know what that is for this month, but whatever the third Saturday is, uh, from 10 a.m. to noon, uh, and I'm actually going to go down there and help them set up at like 9 a.m. and take some pictures and videos so we can advertise about all the volunteers and stuff that they need uh, and all the families that they help. And they just sent us a thank you letter for the diapers that we did collect because they have, if I remember correctly, I don't know the total number of families that they help, but when they sent me the letter last week, they said they just added seven more families who are in need of diapers, which doesn't sound big to us, but it is big to those families who are in need of diapers. So um, keep that in prayer. Also, uh, pray for this. Uh, We have a lot of community events coming up, what we're going to be doing with other congregations. Now, how many people remember when, before the pandemic, obviously, when we used to, like, every few months, we'd be doing something with other congregations, either music events or prayer events or all kind of stuff. We're trying to get back to that because, like, schools are, are, are getting together with other schools to do sports. People are getting together, you know, with people they don't know at concerts. So we are trying to push for the church to get together, like other congregations, multiple congregations to come together and be the church, right? So uh, pray about this because 
you know, it doesn't work unless the churches say, yeah, I'm in. Uh, we're looking at hopefully doing a Good Friday event with other congregations. Uh, we have a, a community prayer event coming up. We have in May an afternoon of praise and worship coming up uh, with other, hopefully, multiple congregations, many congregations uh, that's going to span multiple municipalities. And then we have the opportunity throughout the summer to do a couple of nights of evening praise and worship events. Uh, and that's just hopefully the tip of the iceberg of like churches, the congregations coming together to like be the church again. So uh, keep those things in prayer, especially as we move forward now through this season of Lent, which started on Ash Wednesday. So uh, for those of you who are not familiar with it, Lent is the season where uh, you won't find that word in the Bible, but it's where the churches came together. Sorry, that's my watch coming off. Uh, the churches came together and said, hey, you know what we need to do? Uh, we need to get people to look to the resurrection of Jesus Christ and kind of start taking steps to focus on what he did for us. That's, that's the whole thing the season of Lent is about. And fish fries, because that's what people do every Friday during Lent is fish fries. Um, of course, I'm the guy that went in and got a burger on Friday because I forgot, so... It's okay. But as we move through this season of Lent, um, just pray that uh, people would begin to turn their hearts and their minds to Jesus. All right, as you are making your way back to your seats and getting situated, we're continuing to walk through the book of Zechariah, uh, but we're also in the process of walking through history. Uh, the things we're reading are not just biblical, not just stuff that's in the Bible, but they're historical events that like you can go look up in a history book or go to the library because um, they still have books, right? Yeah. Go to the library, pull out a book and find a lot of the stuff that we're talking about. So let me, let me start by asking this question. How many people have ever heard someone say this to them, hopefully in a good way, but um, I've ever heard someone say, hey, there's no evidence that the Bible is true. Anyone ever heard that? Yeah. Lots of people who have said that before. Hopefully, we're not getting into arguments with people about that, but there are a lot of people who hold to that view that there is no evidence that the Bible is true. Now, I think it was last year, all, all, all the, everything's running the same because of the pandemic, but I think it was last year when we walked through the book of Exodus we walk through not just, because uh, that's one of the main complaints, right? If the Bible were true and this big exodus, all these miracles happened in Egypt, wouldn't there be evidence of it? And we walk through like 10 pieces of not just biblical evidence, but historical, archaeological evidence that says, yeah, not just the Bible saying these things happened, but here are, here's archaeological evidence and historical evidence that says these things in the exodus took place. Uh, but if you hear someone say that, now here's another piece of evidence you can point them to, the book of Zechariah. You can actually quote Zechariah 9, 1 through 4. You don't have to quote it, right? I don't even have it memorized. But uh, you can go to this verse as a piece of evidence because the nations that God said, hey, these are going to be destroyed, he said 200 years before they happened. But there are some people who say, well, you know what? Nations get destroyed, there's wars, it happens. That doesn't mean God did it, right? But if you look at, uh, and this we looked at last week, I'm going to look at again this week really quick. What is written in Zechariah 9, 3, and 4 is very specific. So this is, again, 
200 and some odd years before these nations were destroyed. Uh, in verse 3 and 4, it says, Tyre, which is one of the areas, has built herself a stronghold. She has heaped up silver like dust and gold like dirt to the street. This doesn't mean a lot to us, but at that time, the nation of Tyre was one of the like strongholds, right? It, it, it had, uh, I think when Nebuchadnezzar came against Jerusalem, it took him two and a half years to lay siege because they had walls around the city. But Tyre backed to water. So even though it was a walled city, at their back was water. It took Nebuchadnezzar 13 years to get through to them, and he didn't really successfully do it, right? So uh, it says this, but the Lord, that's God, will take away her possessions, destroy her power on the sea, and she will be consumed by fire. Because it was a seaport, Right? Lots of nations came in, and so they got wealthy doing trade because they had more people had access to them than they did to a lot of other cities. Right? So they, they, they got really wealthy. But when Alexander the Great came, and you can look this up historically, when Alexander the Great came and destroyed Tyre, along with all the other like, nations that we talked about that uh, God said would be destroyed, when he destroyed Tyre, he went in, and he literally, uh, this is, I'm trying to find a way to say this so that you parents don't have to have long conversations with your kids at home. Uh, he did a lot of damage, right, to, to, to this city. But specifically, I think it was 75% of the homes he burned to the ground. Not a good thing. But when you look at specifically what God says is going to happen, that she will be consumed by fire, and then 200 years later, her wealth doesn't help her, and that stronghold is destroyed by fire, that's kind of significant, right? Uh, and, and these and the other verses, they're, they're the kind of reasons why we look up and say, yeah, you can trust the Bible, because as we said, there are literally 300 plus uh, prophecies about the birth of Jesus Christ and, and what will happen when he comes as the Messiah the first time, right? And all of those have been fulfilled. There's about a thousand prophecies about his second coming. Many of those have been, been fulfilled, right? So the Bible batting about 100% when it starts talking about prophecies. And throughout the book of Zechariah, a lot of it is going to get really weird using kind of language that is weird to us. Uh, but here's over the next uh, couple of chapters uh, what Zechariah prophesies about. He talks about, again, the Messiah, who we sit on this side of history, we know that's Jesus, but he talks about his first coming and his second coming. He talks about the Greeks, like, like we talked about last week, coming in and taking over the nation of Israel, some of it really specific, right? Then he talks about the Romans coming in and taking over that as well, and then he talks about the Antichrist, which some of you might be hearing a lot about these days because of, you know, Russia going like crazy and starting a war. And I don't want to get political, but when you start shooting missiles at nukes, somebody needs to take you out. Like, I, I, I cannot understand why the rest of the world isn't intervening, but I'm just a pastor, not a government leader. Okay? But a lot of people, because of stuff like that, are having discussions about the end times and the last days and the Antichrist, and this is all of this kind of things, right? So this is a lot of, of, of stuff that we're going to talk about in the next couple of weeks, not because I want to talk about it, because this is what God talks about. Now, there's a reason, right, 
uh, why God covers these specific nations uh, that he mentions. He, ne- he mentions a couple of specific nations. He mentions Greek. He mentions the Romans. And then he talks about the Antichrist. And it's not that God is trying to bore us with like history type stuff. And I'm not trying to bore you with history type stuff. Although I may do that. Don't say amen. But there's a reason why he mentions these specific nations. And it would not have been the first time that the Jewish people would have heard that. Because right now, when, when, when Zechariah is preaching to them, it's about 70 to 80 years after they've been taken into captivity. When they were first taken into captivity in 586 BC, the prophet Daniel said the exact same thing about these nations and about the Antichrist. And think of it this way. Uh, like right now, you know, Russia, European theater, war going on. So some of you have either parents or grandparents who may remember World War II. Or you have parents or grandparents who told you about World War II. It's not like, hey, I just read this in a history book. But you had a parent or a grandparent that was like, yeah, I remember the horror. I remember the war. or I remember my husband, brother, mother, father, whatever, going off to fight this war just a generation ago. It's not that far removed. This is what the Jewish people in Zechariah's day were dealing with. Because they were hearing something that just 70 to 80 years prior, the prophet Daniel had told them about. So, um, and here's the thing. The prophet Daniel mentions specifically, again, the Greeks, the Romans. He doesn't talk about the Messiah, but he talks about the coming of the Antichrist. And here's what Daniel says. Right? Uh, uh, in Daniel chapter 2, he says this, You, O king, this is Daniel, having a conversation with the ruler or king at that time named Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar had this dream about this statue, and it had mo- all these different uh, uh, medals in it. He didn't know what it meant. God revealed to Daniel, here's exactly what it meant. He said, You, O king, are king of the earthly kings to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the might, and the glory. And whenever or wherever the children of men dwell, and the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, he has given them into your hand. And he has made you rule over them all. You, king of Babylon, so again, he's talking about the Babylonian empire, are the head of gold. So what Daniel is telling this king, who is a ruler and who is like aggressively taken over nations, is like, hey, God has given you the authority to rule. But he later tells them, hey, if you don't obey God's authority, God will take away your authority to rule. Right? But in this conversation, what he says, in your dream you saw the statue, you're the first nation, the head of gold. And then he said this. He said, and after you, there's going to come another kingdom, the Medo-Persian, which is inferior to you, still a third kingdom of bronze, Greece, under Alexander the Great, which shall bear rule over you. So these are the same nations that Zechariah talks about, but Zechariah doesn't talk about the Babylonian Empire because they're already gone, and they're under the Medo-Persian Empire. So Zechariah talks about the Grecian Empire, And then he also talks about this, the fourth kingdom, Rome, which will be strong as iron since iron breaks to pieces, subdues all things. And these are the four ruling empires that uh, Daniel talks about. And then Zechariah, he didn't talk about the Babylonians because they're gone. He didn't talk about the Medo-Persian empire because they're currently under it. 
But he says, hey, the Greeks, they're going to come in and they're going to destroy like what we talked about last week, all these kingdoms. And then he's going to talk about the Roman Empire. Now, there's a specific reason why he mentions all of these empires. And a lot of people think it's because, yeah, they're all world-dominating empires. And they are, but they're not the only ones. And we talked about this several weeks ago. There have been numerous world-dominating empires, right? The last one that was most effective at it, British Empire, which had like 26% of the world's population under the... This is sounding like a class history lesson. I apologize for that. Just bear with me, okay? Um, uh, the Russian Empire, which everyone has in their mind now, in its heyday had 16% of the world's population. But the ones that he mentions, the Greeks, the Roman, the Babylonians, the Medo-Persian Empire, they had like a small percentage of the world population at that time. And it's not about how big they were. He mentions them because they were the only empires on the face of the planet in the history of humanity to rule over the nation of Israel. Right? The Babylonians came in and took over the nation of Israel. Medo-Persians came in and took over the Babylonians. Alexander the Great and the Greeks came in and took them over, and then the Romans took them over. Once the Romans destroyed the nation of Israel, even though there were other world-dominating nations, they did not have control over the nation of Israel because the nation of Israel didn't exist. It didn't become a nation again until 1946 or 7. Somebody Google that. 1947. And since then, there has not been another nation on the planet that came in and took over the nation of Israel. And what God was revealing to them is that there never will be until the Antichrist comes. That's the next world-dominating empire that will take over and subdue the nation of Israel. But then one of the things that Daniel communicated that was supposed to be a blessing was, but don't worry about that because God's kingdom will prevail over that one. And his whole message was for them to try to understand is that regardless of which kingdom comes and which kingdom you're under, you are a part of God's eternal kingdom. And that will never change regardless of who or which government is in power or which government is ruling, right? So uh, back to Zechariah. This is, this is what he says. In Zechariah chapter uh, 9, verse 7, he says this. He's talking about when Alexander the Great comes, right? He says in verse 7, I'm going to take the blood from their mouths, forbidden food from between their teeth. Those who are left will belong to our God and become a clan in Judah, and Ekron will be like the Jebusites. And we talked about how all of these nations, these ones, uh, Ekron, Gaza, uh, Ashkelon, uh, Hemeth, all of these nations, Alexander the Great came in and destroyed and took over with the exception of, because in verse 8 he says, I will encamp at my temple to guard against it, marauding forces, and never again will an oppressor overrun my people. We talked about when Alexander the Great came in, he destroyed all of those other kingdoms, got to Jerusalem, didn't destroy it because of a dream that Alexander the Great had and because of uh, his understanding that that dream came from some divine person and him believing that it was God. So Zechariah communicating, hey, there's going to be all these nations, right, that come in. But the very next verse after he says that all these nations are going to be destroyed, but he's going to protect 
Jerusalem, the very next thing he says is this. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. What he says is historically, uh, and, and, and the Bible doesn't say this, but historically, whenever a king came to approach, if he came in riding on a horse, that meant he came to conquer and to rule and people were going to be in danger, right? But if a king came in riding on a donkey, it meant he came in peace and to offer, like, a, a, he, expand his kingdom and an invitation for you to be a part of his kingdom peacefully. And for some people, this v- uh, verse might look familiar because Matthew tells us that this verse was fulfilled by Jesus. Now, if you want to turn there, you can turn to uh, Matthew uh, chapter 21, but I'm going to put all these verses up here on screen. And Matthew chapter 21, this is what it says in verse 1, as they, and that's Jesus and his apostles, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, hey, go to the village ahead of you, and at once you'll find a donkey tied there with her colt by her, untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, and the prophet he's referring to is Zechariah. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a coat, the fowl of a donkey. And what Zechariah was trying to communicate to them was, hey, there are going to be kings and governments that come, and they're going to take over Jerusalem, and they're going to rule the nation, but your king is not their king. You have a different king than they do. So even though you may be under their political rule, you still belong to the kingdom of the Prince of Peace. And when Jesus comes, Matthew says, this was fulfilling Zechariah's prophecy. And then the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. And a very large crowd spread. And then the crowds went ahead of him. And those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. This was actually fulfillment of another prophecy of Daniel, literally to the day. And that word Hosanna means salvation or save us. And they were saying, hey, salvation is coming from the son of David because the Messiah, the king, the one who would rightful rule over Jerusalem, prophecy said would be a descendant of King David, who was their most favorite king. And don't, don't say any names because then we'll, we'll get in a whole different conversation. But all of us probably have a favorite president, someone who we think this is the president who, who is great for our nation or whatever. And we, if, if everyone did say a name, it would be different names. But if you ask all of the people of Israel, who was that one favorite king? Most of them would look back and all would say King David. So the prophecy said that the Messiah, the true king, would be a descendant of King David. And this is the people acknowledging, right, that we acknowledge that Jesus is that king, that Jesus is the one who fulfilled that prophecy, and that we are a part of his kingdom. Now, here's the question that I want to ask to us, because so what? 
Why is that relevant to us other than the last 22 minutes we spent talking about history? Like, why does that help us? How does that help me live my life today? Does that help me deal with anything that I'm going through today? Why is this relevant to us today? It's relevant because we have the same concerns that Israel did. And you don't have to raise your hand, but we all have concerns about uh, whether it be our current government, our past government. We all have concerns about what's going on in the nations around the world. We all have concerns about, yeah, even though that's a war in Europe, um, 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 just kid you not, as Christian and I were, were, were driving, uh, I think it was the other night, Friday night, and gas prices went up. We passed one gas station, and on the way back, the gas prices had went up. All of these things concern us, just like they were of concern to Israel. And God tells the same thing to us that he told to Israel. Regardless of what's happening in your nation, regardless of what's happening in your world, you are a part of an eternal kingdom. And yes, that may impact you, but it doesn't change you or change what God has promised to you. Because I'm going to jump through a bunch of verses. Here's what God tells us, right? Uh, in Zechariah 14, we didn't get there yet, but Zechariah ends by telling them, and the Lord shall be king over all the earth, every nation, over Russia, over U.S., over Canada, over Mexico, every nation, God will be king. And in that day, the Lord shall be one in the recognition and worship of men and his name one. Right? And then John tells us this, uh, how, well, how do we become a part of that kingdom? Uh, Jesus answered him, I assure you, most solemnly I tell you, that unless a person is born again, meaning anew from above, he cannot see or know or be acquainted with and experience the kingdom of God. The same way, because citizenship is a big thing to many people here in the U.S., right? And God says the same thing. If you want to be a part of God's kingdom, you have to be born into God's kingdom. But it's not a physical birth, it's a spiritual birth. So God created a way for us who are physically human to have a spiritual birth to be a part of his kingdom. Paul says that the Father, God, has delivered and drawn us to himself out of the control and the dominion of darkness and has transferred us into the kingdom of the Son of his love in whom we have our redemption through his blood. So, I mean, we're in this season of Lent where the whole goal is to have people look towards the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus where he shed his blood on a cross for us. And when we look forward to that event and put our faith in it and believe it and believe that he has forgiven us of our sins, then God transfers us into his kingdom. So we didn't experience a physical birth into his kingdom, but through our faith, we experience a spiritual birth and become a part of God's kingdom. And then Paul says this. He says, therefore, once we do that, you are no longer outsiders of his kingdom or exiled because of our sin from his kingdom or immigrants or aliens excluded from the rights of citizens of God's kingdom. But you now share citizenship with the saints, God's own people, consecrated and set apart for himself. And this is key. And we belong to God's household. When we commit our, our, our lives to Christ, we don't just become a part of his kingdom. We're now a part of his family. We're now heirs to the throne of Christ with his son, Jesus Christ. 
We don't just get citizenship like we get to be a part of his kingdom. We get to be a part of his household. But as a part of his household, we have responsibilities, right? So Matthew tells us, uh, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And he was making it clear that, hey, just because you go to church, just because you uh, give money, just because you do nice things or good things, that doesn't mean you get to be a part of God's kingdom, right? That doesn't mean you're automatically included in. So you have to, one, experience that spiritual birth, but then two, as a part of God's kingdom, you have a job to do. Because what Jesus says is that, uh, as he said to them, all authority, all power of rule in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So go, make disciples of all the nations. And that word make disciples doesn't mean that we make people part of our congregation or part of our denomination. It means that we share with people and, and equip them to do the kind of things that Jesus did. Not saying miracles, but mainly love people like Jesus did and treat people like Jesus did. And we baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. And this is the most important part. We teach them to observe everything that Jesus commanded them. And if you're wondering what Jesus commanded, he commanded two things. Love God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. And love your neighbor as yourself. That's what we're supposed to do. That's, that's what our job is. So when we see that, you know, hey, there's some, in our government, we see some crazy things that we may not agree with, we're still a part of God's kingdom. We have a job. We've got to go out and equip people to love God and love others. When we see on the world stage crazy things going on, like even though it's a war in the European theater, we're being impacted by it, what should we do? We're part of God's kingdom. We have a job to do. Love God with all our heart, mind, body, and soul, and love others like we love ourselves. When we see even within our government, and it doesn't matter you know, what, what political thing you are, because every time the, uh, uh, the political party that's in power changes, then you see this political division in our country. So regardless of which political party is in power, we're a part of God's kingdom, and we have a job to do. To love God with all our heart, mind, body, and soul. And love our neighbors as we love ourselves. To treat others with the same love that God treated us with. Regardless of whether they vote like us, think like us, look like us, or believe like us, we still have to love them and be the church to them. So I'm going to ask you guys to stand as, as the band comes up, uh, and we're going to sing that song again. But before we do, I would be remiss if talking... Uh, if I spent time talking about all of here's what we need to do to be a part of God's kingdom, if I didn't offer that opportunity, I don't know where everyone in the room is or the people that are watching online, but I'm going to ask you to bow your head. And I know uh, we come from a lot of different cultural backgrounds, religious backgrounds, denominational backgrounds, and I, I, I'm not trying to trample on anyone's belief system. Uh, but from a biblical perspective, you don't need to come to the altar. You don't need to raise your hand. You don't need to repeat a prayer to be a part of God's kingdom. All you need to do is just like we talked about. Acknowledge that God loved us enough to send his son to pay the penalty for our sins. 
and believe that Jesus loved us enough that he died on the cross and then he rose from the grave to show that he loved us that much and to prove that he was God and to pay the penalty for our sins. And all you have to do is believe that and you become a part of God's kingdom. And God, we pray that whether there are people who are watching this today, people in this room, or people who watch it later online, that they put their faith and their trust in you, not in a denomination, not in a pastor, not in a political figure, but in the Prince of Peace and what he accomplished on the cross for all of humanity by extending the offer to all of us to be a part of your kingdom. And God, we also pray that anyone, whether it be today or whether we be Christ followers for years, that if we are a part of your kingdom, then we understand, as we have said over and over and over, that we have one job to do, to tell people about your goodness, your grace, and your love, to share and to show the love of Christ with those in our community, to be the church. And we pray that we can do that. We pray that when we walk out of here, that we're excited, that we're just impassioned and emboldened to talk about your love for us with those in our circles of influence. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.